pair of hikers from Rhode Island have been rescued after getting stuck in treacherous terrain on Mount Washington. At least one hiker expressed they were feeling symptoms of hypothermia. Officials tell us the hikers were brought to safety around 10 p.m. And thankfully, there were no injuries. This was no drill, but a real-life emergency deep in the White Mountains. Broadcasting from the Woodpecker Studio in the great state of New Hampshire, welcome to the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast, where we discuss all things related to hiking and search and rescue in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Here are your hosts, Mike and Stump. Yeah, your hair looks good. You grow, it's growing in. Oh, thanks, Mike. No, I'm not talking to you. Well, I had a hat, but it just <laughs> fell on the ground, so you're just going to have to look at my hair. You'll get long, though. It's too bad it didn't fully mullet out right before Halloween. You could have been like an 80s rocker. Yeah, it looks like my brother. I look like my brother, kind of. It's like kind of weird. Nice. It's going to be like a mullet. Yeah, they get, I, see, I see them around now. We're going live with episode 33, Stomp. Do you remember what you were doing when you were 33? 33. Hmm. Let's see. I have no clue, to be honest with you. Zero clue. I think it's my dementia kicking in. Yeah, you're old. I think I was, um, I think I had my third daughter or my second daughter. I can't remember. Mm -hmm. So, Rebecca, are you even 33 at this point or you're not even 33? Yes, I'm 38. All right. So you probably remember what you were doing when you were 33. I was teaching. I was doing something education related. Hmm. 33 was when Frodo died. I can tell you that. Frodo? Frodo died when he, when he was 33, and Tolkien put that in the book because it was symbolic of when Jesus died, because I think Jesus was 33 at the time, too. I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. about that, because I'm a Tolkien fanatic. Interesting. Yeah. Who knew? I didn't. I would have never known that. I love Lord of the Rings, though. Yeah. Tolkien and um, C.S. Lewis, they were very religious. They put a lot of religious symbolism in their books, but but they also mm-hmm. prepared like uh, for for their writing stomp, and I heard that you are not prepared for the show tonight. <laughs> not at all. So we're doing like probably one of the most important episodes around safety and being prepared for winter hiking and- yeah. I've got all my notes ready to go, but you're you're gonna you're winging this. Is I'm just winging it, and uh, yeah, I'm wing, completely winging it. I'm going by just raw experience. I'm just gonna say the first thing that comes to mind and wing it. All right, yeah, it should be interesting with your your wacky gear that you have too. <laughs> but you you have some you you sent over some notes about something you wanted to get into. But before we get into that, do you want to? To do um, sponsor and, and coffee talk and all that fun stuff. We have three donations uh, or coffees from Alan and Michelle B donated five and JSACC1213. I'm not sure how you would pronounce that, but whoever you are and however you pronounce that, thank you very much for the five coffees. Uh, it's very, very appreciated. And um, we have this little um, write up here from a listener named Alicia, and she says, I was planning to buy you guys a couple coffees, but on your Hike Safe episode, you mentioned making a donation to New Hampshire Outdoor Council. I can get behind that. So I did, and was able to get a work match to, parentheses, $100 each. It's okay if you want to mention it on the coffee segment. Blah, blah, blah. Still loving this podcast. Keep up the great work, and thank you. 
That's very nice, huh? Yeah, that's awesome. If anybody wants to donate to the New Hampshire Outdoor Council and then just let us know that you donated, we'll give you a shout out. Or if you have a company you want to sponsor, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll put in a plug for your company. And a special thanks to our sponsor at Reckless Brewing. We'll enjoy the best food, craft beer, and fun just 15 minutes from Franconia Notch. Many 4,000 footers in less than 10 minutes from the five corners of New Hampshire, not Vermont. Yeah. There was one other thing, Stomp, that I saw on social media. Uh, that was was somebody create, they did a pumpkin carving with, with a slasher logo. Was that you or was that some, one, of the, one of the listeners? That was me, actually. Yeah. That was oh, me. Oh, that was you. Yeah, yeah. What do you wow, think? Come a, out okay? That was impressive. It was. It was. An, it was a big pain in the ass. <laughs> what did you, what did you use to carve it? Oh, just those generic tools that they they sell at like dollar store and whatever else. And um, I had to actually dig out a couple painting tools actually to get the outer border was the hardest piece because it it's not a cut through. It's a it's a shading, so you only go like halfway through, so the light illuminates through the pumpkin. That was tricky. That was really tricky. And of course, to do the the actual words, the R and the A, you had to drop the middle piece. So I couldn't quite figure that out. Sorry, everybody, but did the best I could. Yeah. yeah. It came out really well. The um, You know how in, on the 4th of July, like there's always stories about how people will like light fireworks off and they like blow their hand up or... <laughs> yes. or or just die because of fire. I'm surprised there's not more stories of people like stabbing themselves or getting like severely injured. I'd love to know like if there's a listener out there that works in like an emergency room or something. Mm-hmm. Like if if they have any <laughs> stories about because that that has to be a thing, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I can't tell you the number of times I've tried to like cut a pumpkin up with like a dull steak knife and almost stab myself to death. <laughs> right. All right, so you got the little thing you want to talk about, like virtual reality or something? What is yeah, that? Yeah, just was really fascinated by this whole like sudden switcheroo with Facebook. You know, Zuckerberg coming out and talking about Meta. And uh, if, I don't know if you've heard about this. You must have. I don't know anything about this. Okay, the reason I brought it up is because I, it made me do a little deeper digging into like how virtual reality would um, actually impact hiking or could it? It's like... Zuckerberg's talking about having the Oculus virtual reality glasses in place and having people just socialize and meet up in these virtual realities, like, you know, um, just whatever. You could be floating through space or you could be on top of a mountain and things like that. So that's where they're headed. I think they're trying to get ahead of the curve. Well, I have some experience in this area, Stomp, so I can tell you. See the treadmill behind me? It's kind of hard to see, but. Yeah. Anyway. There's a treadmill behind me. Yeah. It's, it's got like this um, screen on it that you can you can turn on and then like you can go put it in walking mode and right. you can walk like on these different hikes, which is exactly like one of these YouTube videos you're showing me or that you yep. sent me. And um, it's boring as hell. Yeah, it's not good. Mm -hmm. So, right. I mean, maybe if you have like a virtual reality headset where you can do like a 360 turn or something. Maybe that's a little bit more interesting, but for me, like I tried it and I was excited about it, and then I got bored with it in about five minutes. No, I get it, but he here's where this is going. I think what what the Peloton or like a treadmill would be is augmented, so it's like you're, it's half and half. Like you're sitting on, actually on a bike, looking at a screen, doing that. Um, there's immersive 
reality, which would be like a video game. There's cyberspace, which is what you and I and uh, Rebecca know the most, like just sitting at a keyboard and typing away. And then there's this mixed reality, which is uh, basically combining real and virtual elements and um, like flight simulators, for instance. Here's where this is headed. Four years ago, they were predicting that hikers would be able to put on a headset and actually have a visual guide accompany them on the trail. It's something you would download and actually hike the trail with this headset on and this person in your ear or, or through your eyes would guide you on the trail. That's pretty neat. <laughs> I, don't, I haven't seen it, but it's in the works, apparently. Fascinating. Yeah, I mean, anything that's going to keep people off the trails hiking, like, I'm not going to do this, but if other people are going to get into it, maybe they'll stay home instead of hiking, like, I'm all for it. Like, less people on the trails for me, I'm, I'm in. Oh, right, but I'm saying this is actually for actual trails. Like, you're on trail, legit on trail, and there's a guide walking you up the trail through your VR glasses. Oh, got it. I'm not talking about home. That, that's That's one thing that's happening at home, for sure, but there's also actual reality where somebody's guiding you that's that's what's coming down the pipeline oh kind of like that like that tape that you put in your car from out washington something like that yeah it's just wild like where's it all gonna go it's like our like you do your um you record your tracks your you know your your all your information what is it um garmin do you use garmin to record all your uh, i have garmin yep so what if we get to the point where you can actually download somebody's hike into your Elon Musk Neuralink and experience the whole hike. <laughs> That's what they're talking about. <laughs> Dude, I hope I'm so dead and gone before that 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 becomes a reality. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, I think we'll be history, yeah. but it's moving so fast. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing, I would be cool if if you could do like the Star Trek thing where you could drop me into like a hike that's like completely immersive, I would do it. But I don't know, the idea of like, putting something on my head where they're going to guide me on a trail or whatever. And, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I just want to experience nature as it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that was what was weird about that whole Ready Player One movie because they were basically living in squalor. They never left their little uh, storage shed and they just lived life with these glasses on. Like what, what kind of dystopian future is that? But yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, with these, these little hunks of glass that we're all staring at, the phones that we're dealing with, it's not that much different. It's just like maybe the next evolution, but hopefully not. I yeah. think everyone just needs to get off of their um, off of their phones as much as they can and experience nature. So mm -hmm. we'll see. We'll see what happens. We ready to do the show opener? What poem did you write this week? <laughs> I didn't write a poem, but oh, I don't know. We'll see. I, I wrote this a while ago. So here we go. So tonight we continue our introduction to winter hiking. Last week we covered some safety topics, some logistics, and some traction basics. Uh, tonight we're going to get you all geared up with clothes and accessories for the cold winter conditions. Uh, we'll talk about pants, jackets, base layer, socks, gloves hats, and everything else you need to enjoy a day on the trails in the harsh winter conditions of New Hampshire's White Mountains. We are happy to welcome Rebecca back to share her knowledge on this topic, and she'll give us some updates on her recent hiking adventures. We hope listeners will come away from this episode with most of the information they need to get started on their winter hiking adventures. I'm Mike. 
And I'm Stomp. Let's get started. Great, great. So um, we're done with Sober October. Rebecca, did you do Sober October or did you, you don't, you don't drink anyway, so it didn't matter, right? Yeah. No, I don't drink. So Sober October was easy for you. <laughs> yeah. Piece of cake. Basically just normal, normal October. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Are you, are you drinking anything tonight, Stomp? No, no, no. I'm going to save it. We have, uh, I do have some bad news. We have to... Oh, put a cat down this Wednesday night. So oh, my no. wife and I were like, let's go get a Mai Tai after that. What do you think? So, yeah, one of our older cats is just failing rapidly. So we decided to make the move. Uh, it's going to be sort of rough. So That sucks. How are you, Mike? You drinking anything? I am. I'm drinking. Um, so when we when we entered Silver October, I had a four-pack of Greylock, and now I've had my... I still have to finish it, so I've got one of these Greylock Imperial New England IPAs, which are pretty good. Was it a good experience for you this October? It was, but I didn't tell you I cheated. <laughs> Shame. Shame. Oh, Shame. well, I'm in the confessional. I cheated Shame. too. Just <laughs> I can, Let the shame I, drop in. We got to be honest with the listeners. And you know what's really funny about this? You, what, you tell me yours first, and I'll tell you mine. I basically just like, and somebody <laughs> called me out on Instagram or Facebook, I think it was. Um, <laughs> but like after, so I drove home after I did that big finish hike a couple of weeks ago with you guys. Yeah. And I got home and I was like just so tired. And um, I was thinking about the whole ride home. I was like, I want a beer to celebrate. I should have a beer to celebrate. <laughs> and um, so I just, I, I got all showered up and settled in. You know how like, Rebecca, you know, like you get, you do like a huge hike and then like you take a shower and you're in comfortable clothes and it's kind of cold out and you're like, you know, I just got comfortable on the couch and I was like, I just got to have a beer. So, um, yeah. And somebody asked me like, did you hold tight for sober October? Or you, they said something like you picked a bad month for sober October if you're going to do your finish hike. So I was like, I, I cheated. So sorry. Oh, well. Sorry, listeners. Yeah, I did too. And what's really funny about it is I got called out by a listener as well. And it was a third party post. And the listener sent me a text and said, I thought this was sober October. And, I, and he, they sent me the picture. And I look at the picture and there's this little teeny cup of something that I was sipping on. And I'm like, damn it. <laughs> oh, so too funny. Yeah, so I blew it. But I think it was victorious. It was a great month. And uh, it rebooted my whole like approach to diet and health and everything. So it was awesome. Yeah, no, it's good. I mean, yeah. it, it's even even if you slip a little bit, like it's it's it was a good effort, and you know, it's I had one beer in October, so it's not that bad. It's better than what I've been doing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Same here. Uh, and of course, Rebecca didn't slip. She's perfect. Yeah, right. I don't think so. <laughs> not even close. <laughs> I just don't drink. So what um when you I don't mean to bring the conversation down but like when you put the cat to sleep are you going to do I see, and I've seen this like this is a thing like you can get a photographer that will take like end of life photos with you and your dog or your cat you can do like a photo shoot session that's really interesting. I've seen that I did some research I mean there are actually people that will your mom should do it. She could, but she'd be a mess. Um, I mean, there are people that will drive to your house to do this. They're, it's so commercialized. It's very much like uh, a human uh, passing, you know, with the the coffins and all the uh, um, different packages and everything else. It's like, 
you know, you can get cream cremated ashes you can get the pictures you can have them bury it you can take it home like it's just crazy it's a lot of money it's a lot of money so yeah it's very odd um uh we're not going to go for the photo shoot but um we're hoping that we can spend the last uh, minutes with her and um it's weird because of covid they actually said you know call us when you get to the parking lot and we'll come out so i'm hoping it's not this separated thing where we can't you know, be with her for the last moment or whatever. But uh, yeah, who knows? We'll see. She's had a good life. Wow. So, and, and this is not the executive producer. This is the other cat. No. And the executive producer will be happy beyond belief when this cat goes, because they've been at each other's throats for whatever reason. Um, so well, yeah, the executive producer is fine and she'll be happy as a clam. All right. But yeah, this is Aria. She was the one eyed cat. All right. So then, yeah. Maybe if if I get that book, hundred and one uses for a dead cat, I can send it to the executive producer. <laughs> yes, that that would be appropriate. Okay, that that will be the attitude of the executive producer. Okay. <laughs> well, when we're on cats, Rebecca, you have how's your new kitten doing? Anyway, there must be like a full grown cat by now. She's five months, and she is she's definitely her own cat. Like, she wants to do what she wants to do versus the other cat that's just, like, very good listener and uh, follows directions. Uh, my kitten is kind of, like, a little bit more of a pig-headed cat, but she's wicked cute and she loves me so much. Oh, that's good. Hmm. She just walked into, like, she loves me. I'm her person. It's so cool. <laughs> well, hopefully one of them will make an appearance tonight. All right. Well, moving on to recent hikes. I got nothing. I haven't been hiking at all. So Stomp, you're up. You done anything good? Yeah. Well, it was like one of those hikes where you're invited and you're like, damn it. Why did I say yes? <laughs> Only because of the weather. We just had this massive monsoon, like an inch and a half of rain up here. And um, I went hiking up Tecumseh bright and early Saturday morning with uh, the teal goat. And um, let me make sure I say this right. Cuddles McPuffy Pants. Can I say that? Who is that? <laughs> Can I say that on on the air without getting banned? Yeah, I think so. Cuddle McPuffy Pants. Okay, that's that's her handle. Isn't that her Instagram handle? Yeah, it's is it PG? It's PG, I guess. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Lindsay. Yeah, she's awesome. So it was the three of us. It was it was a great hike. It was actually really warm. It was pouring out like a bugger in the beginning. And then on the way down, there was that window that where it just opened up and it was actually sort of almost sunny. And then, uh, yeah, later that afternoon it came down again, but that was fun. Got to actually got to experiment with some layering and, you know, umbrella work and stuff like that. Umbrellas are actually handy on the uh, shoulder seasons. Yeah. I've never used one. Which way did you go up to Tecumseh? From uh, Tripoli, or did you go from the Waterville parking lot? We went down 49 into Waterville and went from the parking lot. And uh, actually bumped into a few other people um, that were car spotting. Amy and a few others were car spotting so that they could go up Tripoli Road and start from the other side. Yeah. And uh, all said and done, it took about three hours round trip, so it was pretty quick. I had a proud dad moment, actually, on Tecumseh, um, like about a week and a half, two weeks ago. My daughter goes to a a school that's on quarters. So she gets like this weird break. So she was home for, for a week by herself. So she's in college and she, um, she wanted to go hiking and I was working. So she was like, I'm going to go solo. It's like, all right. So she went and hiked. <laughs> she's working on the list. So she went and I told her, I was like, to come, so it'd be good. So she went and hiked that solo. 
So it was her first 4,000 footer solo yeah. that she, she's done by herself. So big confidence boost for her. Oh, that's great. It's a good choice too for a solo. You know, it's relatively safe, relatively brief, uh, tons of service. I mean, those are good factors. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, it was, I was pretty, pretty proud. She was using the Gia app to sort of get the directions and everything. And I was like, make sure you come, you come back the right way. And she did. She did. She did fine. So it was. Um, <laughs> Isn't it pronounced Gaia? <laughs> I knew you were going to say Gia, that. Gaia. I bit I my tongue. It, it, so it wouldn't be a, I let it that wouldn't one be go a show like unless I pronounce something wrong. <laughs> I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I think everyone I know pronounces it Gaia. <laughs> oh, shit. Right. You, you, Rebecca, you're going to talk about a streak, um, but I have a streak, too, of just pronouncing things horribly on every show, so uh, it will it will continue. But do you want to uh, you want to talk about some recent hikes that you've done? Sure. I actually just hiked today. I did Pierce. Um, actually, felt really good. Uh my most recent blood work came back and I'm in the normal range, which is the first time I've been in the normal range since last October. So it's kind of crazy how much better you feel when you have at least a normal amount of blood in your body. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. I was going to ask you what exactly. So my red blood cell counts, my hematocrits, my hemoglobin are all within the normal range now. Okay. Um, so, Basically, that's like how much blood volume you have and how much blood there is to get the oxygen to your muscles and all of your organs. So up until this couple weeks ago, I had below average or like a below normal amount of all of that since last October because of treatment. So Mm -hmm. I was really excited to have normal amounts (laughs) because it's kind of depressing every time you go in and get your blood drawn and they're like not in the average range. I don't know. It just made me feel like I was doing something wrong, even though obviously it's not my fault. So yeah, I was really excited. So I hiked Pierce today. It was really windy. I actually saw two groups of people and thought of you, Stomp, because <laughs> one of them, one one of the individuals had on a pair of shorts. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, it's like in the teens up there with the wind chills. Oh, geez. And then the other couple, the one of the two people didn't even have a backpack. And I'm just like, okay, here we go. So, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I try not to be too judgmental because I know that I used to be one of those people. But then I always know in my head, I'm also thinking like, how many people's lives are you going to put at risk because you're not prepared? Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. But it was a really nice day. It was, it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's been nice lately. We have a long so was, stretch coming too for like seven or eight days of beautiful weather. Um, hey, listen to this. Ready? Let me see if I can pull this up for a sec. Gaia. Gaia. Yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> Gaia. <laughs> Gia. Gaia. You got to put a little slang on it. Gaia. Yeah. <laughs> Ah. Well, gut hook, gut hook is no longer called gut hook. That's true. That is true. You know about that? Yeah, right? I heard about that. What do they rename themselves to? Uh, it's called Far Out Guides. Far Out Guides. So, for listeners that are not familiar, so Gaia is what I use. It's it's really good because it you download a map to your phone and then it'll show you posi- where you are positioned on a map on a trail. So. You know, it it doesn't replace a compass. You should always have a compass and know how to use it. But like 99% of the time, if I need to know where I am on a trail, I reference 
Gaia. And then I think um, I've never used Gut Hook, but I think Gut Hook is more for through hiking where there's a little bit more of a social media aspect to it where people can say where water sources are and stealth camp camping and things like that. But it also has that same, doesn't it, posi- it shows you positionally where you are on a, on a map, Rebecca? Yeah, it's got um, GPS on it. You can go into airplane mode and then out of airplane mode and it'll show you your little dot on the map, honestly. So I'm really terrible about knowing how they work. I have a Garmin watch and that's that's about as tech savvy as I get when it comes to hiking. Um, so you did a year, like 52 weeks straight worth of hiking through your cancer treatment. Is that correct? Yeah. So I started hiking the week I was discharged from surgery finally um, last October, I think it was October 15th was my very first day hiking. And then I hiked every week since then. I still haven't stopped actually. So now it's like 55 weeks, but 52 weeks straight. And it was actually not intentional. Like originally I just was doing what I was doing, just living my life <laughs> kind of. Um, and then I think it was August. I realized one day I was doing, I was looking at my planner and I'm like, oh my gosh, I've hiked every single week. No wonder I'm tired. <laughs> so then I was like, huh, maybe I should just keep doing this and see, I don't know, I'll just hike a whole year straight. So that's what I did. Yeah, that's impressive. I wish I, I, I just can't be consistent like that. There's just too much going on, but that's pretty consistent that you, that's pretty impressive that you're able to get out, especially during treatment. Like there must've been weeks where you were just like, I just want to, I want to sleep. But I know I would like, I know we've talked before about this, but like I, and I've seen you post a few times on different social media around like just sort of forcing yourself to, to continue forward. But did it ever become like a chore to you or were you pretty, pretty happy getting out there? No, it was more a chore to get on the treadmill when I was in chemo. Like when I was last winter, when I was getting weekly doses of Taxol and all I wanted to do was not do anything. And I was like, made this little goal for myself that I was going to exercise five days a week through chemo every week of it. So getting on the treadmill was like, I don't want to do this. I hate the treadmill. It's so redundant, but I have to do this because like I made this little goal with myself so that was more that was more annoying than anything i think i almost feel like i was just at home yeah at home it was like i didn't even want to get up and go in the other room because i was just so exhausted usually but yeah hiking i kind of i think i powered through a lot of it because i just was so angry in a way that i had it taken from me and kind of like was really stubborn about wanting to do this so i think a lot of that had to do with me getting out there and doing it every single week. No, with your with your blood levels like back to a normal state, does that mean that you are you're done with your treatments, your blood levels are back to normal? Does that mean that you are as close to sort of back to a before cancer life as possible or do you still have have more treatment you got to worry about? So I'm still, I I mean, technically, yes. I, so my last round of Herceptin, which is an immunotherapy, it's a more mild form of chemotherapy. I had that October 14th. So that was my last round of like legitimate treatment. Um, Now I'm on a hormone blocker pill that I have to take for 10 years. I don't know. I mean, it's just a pill, but it does have impacts on things. Like it's, it comes with like risks for secondary cancers and risks for like osteoporosis and um, 
it basically kind of makes you menopausal a little bit. So there's all these things that go with it. But I like being on it in a way because it makes me feel safe because I'm doing something because like not doing anything is terrifying because then it means the cancer can come back in my, like in my mind. That's what I think. So I I don't particularly like the fact that I'm putting myself at risk for uterine and endometrial cancer by taking this pill. But I like the fact that I'm taking it because it makes me feel kind of safe, like from my breast cancer standpoint, at least. I mean, it's never, I guess when you go through something like that, like you're never back to normal, but at least you're maybe through the the part where it's like a near time urgency. Yeah. Yeah. So like my blood counts are in the normal range. They're not where they were. I'm still like two or three points below my red blood cell count or no, my hematocrits are still like a lower than they were. Um, but I'm at least where a normal person's blood counts would be, which is good because having low blood counts, it almost makes you feel like you're hiking at elevation. So like you have very, everything is harder. Um, you get winded wicked easily and you feel really weak and like you're anemic basically. So it sucked hiking like that for an entire year because it really was hard. And I, I have a terrible habit of being really hard on myself and being like, well, this is because you're just out of shape. I kind of gave myself a lot of crap for the last year thinking I'm out of shape and I am a little bit out of shape, but I think a lot of it is also that my blood counts were low. Do they give you EPO for, um, erythroprotein, I think it's called. It's like a drug that they give like professional cyclists and endurance, endurance athletes to increase their hematocrit levels. It can make like, it can make like a huge difference. No, I think they like to make you miserable. I think it's part <laughs> of it. It's like, we have to make you feel really awful as like part of treatment. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but they do not give you that now. You should demand. I would be like, give me EPO. I want to be a, like a superstar hiker. <laughs> I actually kind of wondered about that when I finished when I started getting to the very end, I was like, why don't they do like blood doping or something? Yeah. Why don't they do that to people with ca- cancer? Like what the heck? Um, because it takes 120 days for your blood counts to, to double. So that's a long time to feel horrible. So like, I don't know. I feel like those are things that I wish they would do maybe a little bit. Oh, maybe it's illegal. I don't know. Hmm. Maybe that's why they don't do it. Could be, could be, but I would definitely see if you can get some of that and make you make you hike super fast uphill. <laughs> well, I was hiking today and I was like, oh my gosh, I feel so good. That's this is good. amazing. Is this what it feels like to be normal? <laughs> like, what about uh, redlining? Are you, are you doing any of that anymore? Or are you uh, sort of set that aside? Um, I actually have kind of, I don't know if I'd call it a big announcement or a big deal. I don't really want to make a big deal out of it, but I am going to attempt to redline in a year again. And I'm starting on January 1st. Mm. So official announcement, I guess, is like that I'm going to be attempting it. I have planned out all of the hikes. And because of the way I need to do this, because of the seasons, it's going to end up being probably an FKT officially because of the fact that I'm going to have to hike like five days a week mm-hmm. or more to get this done. I think the part about that that's most nerve wracking is I think just worrying about the weather because I am worried it's going to be crappy weather because I have to do some of these hikes in the winter. It's the way I have it set up. I have to. Um, I know the other person who did this, they only did it in a season or a little bit over a season but that's just not going to work for me. Like I'm not that strong to do that Mm -hmm. physically. 
but I also wanted to be really transparent. So in terms of like what I did in terms of planning and then also tracks, like I use Garmin Connect to track all my stuff. So I'm thinking I might, I don't know, I can share that link, I think. I don't know how to really do that. I think I'd have to share the link or something, but I also am just going to screenshot my GPS tracks and post them on Instagram, I think. So, and it's honestly the only reason I'm at this point I'm doing this is because I need to know if I can. I genuinely don't care about anyone following along or caring if I'm doing it. I just want to know if I can do it. And that's the only reason. Um, because I know if I don't, I'll always wonder if I could. Yeah, I mean, if you're giving yourself a year, you know, it's it's five miles a day ultimately when you when you figure, you know, if you got to do about two thousand miles, but you know, it seems it seems reasonable. It's just a matter of like, do you have the time? Like, that's the big issue. Is like, do you have the time to go five days a week? So the way I have it set up right now is I have it broken up into 188 day hikes. So all the trails are covered in those 188 individual hikes. I'm still in grad school, so I have class one day a week next semester. And then I don't know what I'll have in the fall in terms of how many days a week. The issue is more the weather. So like there's certain trails you can't access in the winter because of the roads are closed or people aren't breaking them out. Sure. And I know that 188 doesn't sound like that many compared to 365. But if you actually sit down and like do it on a calendar because you have to take away a couple of months because of weather, it ends up being like ridiculous how much you have to hike. If I end up managing to pull it off, it'll be the beginning of next December. I'll finish by then. But I don't know if that'll end up happening. We know your dad is pretty tight at this point, right? Like I've redone it. I've planned this so many times at this point and I've checked and rechecked the spreadsheet and not the spreadsheet so much as the guidebook because the spreadsheet's not a hundred percent. It is really close, but they're, you're supposed to use the guidebook. So that's what I used. And the maps. I did not use any online tools at all, which I know some people use online tools to build their tracks, but I don't do that. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, I'm going to post it all on Instagram. I just kind of haven't really felt like throwing it out there because it doesn't feel like it needs to be a big announcement right now. I just feel like who cares? (laughs) Kind of it's more for me than anyone else. Mm -hmm. And our one listener in Japan. (laughs) Yes, exactly. It's one of Mike's co-workers in Japan also cares. <laughs> exactly, exactly. They're flying over right now to get started. They're yeah. going to beat you. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Slasher's hiking topic of the week. So for the audience's sake, Rebecca has um, some good articles about this topic. So we'll be able to link those in the show notes around you know specific products that she has. Um, that, that she uses in, in the winter. But can you just give us a quick recap of your experience in, in winter hiking and you know how long you've been doing it and how you got into it? Sure. My first winter was 2016, and I've hiked every winter since then. And I hike solo. So I know that's a huge risk in the winter especially. So I'm very cognizant of the fact that I'm putting myself at a higher risk by hiking solo. And I choose trails that are trails most people are on. So I usually am not by myself ever out there. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I started hiking in 2016. And it was funny because I remember the year prior to that, I told my husband and my, I think my mom too, I was like, I'm never going to hike in the winter. I don't know why anyone would ever do that. (laughs) And then the next year I was buying winter hiking gear. Oh, yeah. (laughs) 
So, yeah. Get hooked. Last week, I don't know if you got a chance to listen to the show, Rebecca, but I just want to start off with sort of a recap of what we covered last week, which was, so we had Karen on um, to talk a little bit about this, but we basically covered everything not to do with like sort of core clothing. So we talked about traction, backpacks, trailhead logistics and basics, and then uh, we talked about boots as well. So from a traction perspective, um, I was reading your article. So you have, is it TSL snowshoes and then you use Catula? Microspikes, is that right? Um, I use tubs. I think they're flex verts is what I use for snowshoes. And uh, I actually purchased the MSR Lightning Ascents as well. And I I don't like them. I feel like for me, I'm only 5'4". I don't know. I just felt like they were too clunky. So I use the um, the tubs and I use Catula Microspikes. But I also have um, Black Diamond, I think crampons i just i only use those if i absolutely have to and then uh, as far as a backpack goes what do you what size do you typically use in the winter and and what brand do you use i only have one backpack and i use it all year and it's a hyperlight mountain gear i think it's a 2400 southwest it's a i think it's actually 48 liter pack but it's a um frameless you just roll the top down so it's really compartmentalizes it you know, a lot smaller, but that's the pack I use all the time. Hmm. And then what about, um, mounting your snowshoes to the backpack? What do you, what is your typical process for that? I take them and I put them on top of the pack, um, at the very top where you've rolled it all down. And then there's a strap that you can put across and then I cinch it down really tight and they actually stay pretty well. I've, I've demonstrated it on Instagram before because people have asked me, for my pack in particular, because it's not a typical backpack that people I think would carry snowshoes on. I've never had an issue with them even like coming loose at all. Yeah. I was looking at my Hyperlite. So I just got a Hyperlite. Um, it's a self, I think it's a little bit bigger, but um, I'm assuming you probably have the mm-hmm. same setup where it's like, a, um, I call it like a Y strap. So it's basically like one strap in the middle and then two that connect. So you, you're just basically putting both the snowshoes together on top and then cinching it down and, and it just rides on the very top. Yeah, that's exactly how I do it. And um, yeah, I I love that pack. It's, it's just a really good backpack. It's really comfortable. I still have the one, they just switched to being made outside of the US and my pack was made in the US because it's older. So I'm like, I'm never using it. <laughs> <laughs> going to have to keep this one forever, I guess. Yeah. I think my uh, my pack I don't think was built in the U.S., so it's not not an original. But I do like them. Yeah, they're good packs. Cool. What do you what do you um, what do you do for boots? I <laughs> I wear trail runners all year. Come on, really? I wear uh, Solomon. Yes, below the ankles. I cannot. I have real issues with my Achilles, hmm. um, so I cannot wear boots. Because it just kills my Achilles tendon. It's just too tight to to wear. I can't wear anything that goes above my ankle. Hmm. Um, gotcha. And I don't remember if I linked it in here. It's a Solomon brand and it's a waterproof one. Okay. I do not recommend doing it. Like I have legitimate problems. I have chronic plantar fasciitis in both feet. And so I just can't risk it 
agitating that by wearing something that's going to go above my ankle. I take a risk by wearing trail runners. My feet are usually really warm. I run really warm. So it's never been an issue for me or my feet get cold. So trail runners with snowshoes. Yep. Yep. Wow. And it's never been an issue. Interesting. Hmm. We have a, uh, yeah. just briefly, we have a, um, a segment coming up in a future episode um, where I discuss physical therapy and with Andy Cannon, who is another physical therapist in the area. And you, you might find it really interesting. We talk about boots and just, um, you know, the dynamics of foot motion and things like that. So stay tuned for that. It's a really neat segment. Yeah. I've had issues where they decided to discontinue my current trail runners. And I have now tried like three different kinds and I'm still not happy because I just cannot like my feet. I have issues with my feet. I had surgery and everything and it didn't, it made my foot worse. So yeah, no, I definitely see people out there in those, they're basically Gore-Tex sneakers. It's nice because they're not heavy and you get the benefits of, of, uh, you know, a light, shoe to wear while winter hiking the negative piece of having Gore-Tex shoes and you're going to deal with this with boots anyway with that are insulated is that it does become like a a sweat becomes an issue like your your feet are going to start sweating Mm -hmm. when you get warm um but I don't know I don't really have enough experience to know like what the risk piece of it is I would assume like if you've got to go a lot of miles like you could risk getting cold but I don't know so the ones I wear are um they're Solomon XA Pro 3D trail runners. But yeah, I also do not do big miles in the winter. I I would say 10 is pretty much my limit. Maybe 11. I don't go any more than that because I, know, I try really hard to lower the risk that I'm taking. So that's interesting. That was a little bit of a surprise that you don't wear boots in the winter. But I like I said, I've seen people doing it and, you know, it, it, it works, but... If I was going to wear boots, they would be like ankle boots. So I kind of feel like there's no point. It's like either way, they're going to be boot. They're going to be at my ankle. There must be a temperature limit, though, for you. If you're dealing with zero degrees, are you going to stay home because your feet are going to get too cold? My feet don't usually get cold when it's that cold. I'm like sweating right now just sitting here. (laughs) Seriously, like I run really, really hot. I typically, I am also having hot flashes because of this fun pill that I'm on. So, um, my body temperature is not normal. I, like, I could have been in a bra today and it was like 19 because I just, I'm hot all the time. (laughs) So Stomp, the, um, the, the summary last week, I got one, one bit of feedback from somebody. I want to throw something in around uh, trailhead, um, reminders, but the only thing that I get, I got some feedback. Uh, our friend Al had messaged me and or put a comment out about um, to remind people. Like, I guess I don't have this in my car, but like some cars have this like key where it's basically a battery key where you just have to have it close to the car, and then you can press a button to start the car. It's called the fob, and apparently those things, yep. like if you're hmm. hiking in cold weather and they get exposed to cold the cold, like the bat, I guess there's batteries in them. So that can drain. So just be aware mm, good, of that. Yeah, like, good point. Have a backup fob, I guess. I don't know. I don't really know. I don't have a fancy car like that, but yeah, that's a good point. Thank you. Contributor. The other thing that we didn't cover that I don't have on this show either is uh, hiking poles. And just a reminder that um, for people that are going to be winter hiking for the first time, 
if you have hiking poles and you don't have those, they're called baskets at the end of them. You want to make sure that you dig through your draw to uh, to grab those baskets that you probably threw in the bottom of a, a draw somewhere when you bought the the, um, the hiking poles. Put those baskets on because if you don't, you're going to stick the poles in and you're going to fall into the snow and it's a real pain in the neck. And I learned the hard way for the first like two or three times I went hiking. So try to get a big basket if you can and it'll it'll just basically sink into the snow and we'll we'll stop going in. If you don't have that, you'll you'll go pretty deep into the snow by the middle of the winter. <laughs> yep. Just a little bit about the order that we're going to cover tonight. So uh, we're going to talk again about where to do research on winter hiking. We're going to talk a little bit about stores that you can purchase from. We'll talk a little bit about budget gear versus high end gear and our thoughts about that. Then we're going to get into base layers, pants, socks, gaiters, and then move to the top half of the body with hats, gloves, midweight shirts, um, jackets, goggles, sunglasses, balaclavas, and then any other accessories that we've, we've missed here. So just getting into the basics here. So we talked about this a little bit. Um, where I do my research on gear is typically, like I said previously, like last week, I'll go to Phil Warner has a website called Section Hiker that I go on and he has a lot of reviews on, on all kinds of hiking gear. And then he's got lists on boots and jackets and all kinds of information. Um, I'll go on REI. Um, I'll Google stuff just randomly. There's another like um, ultra light um, gear subreddit that I'll add a link to in our show notes. And then I found the awesome article that Rebecca has written about her winter gear list. So we'll, we'll link that in the show as well. Uh, but is there anything else, Rebecca, or Stomp, any, anything else around where to research gear for winter hiking? I usually go to the Trek for a lot of stuff, the Trek.co. Um, I'm one of those people that if I find something I like, I'm not going to try and find something to replace it. So I typically don't do a lot of delving into like gear stuff now because I know what I have and I know what I like. As for me, you're talking about the guy that keeps his pack together with super glue and tie wrap. So no, I don't look anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I honestly, like, I don't need to look anywhere anymore because I've done all my research, but I think I'm probably newer as far as getting my gear dialed in compared to you guys. So that's why it's, it's a little bit top of mind for me, but yeah, the Trek is a great place to go. Like I said, section hikers is, is probably the, the best site that I've seen. And then as far as purchasing items, and again, I know you guys aren't, aren't buying a lot of things, but a few places where I've gone shopping over the years, you know, obviously REI, I like going into the stores, I'll buy stuff online. Um, I find that when it comes to getting good deals on gear, um, Columbia and Eddie Bauer to me have been two places where I've always gotten like pretty good pricing on gear, um, you know, and clothes and things like that. So I don't know either one of you guys got any ideas on where, where you sh- want to shop to get good deals on stuff. Bauer's awesome. I mean, they just had an outlet up here in Lincoln that was closed recently, if I recall. Was that an Eddie, Eddie Bauer? Yep. Their uh, nylon polyester pants were fantastic, really affordable. I think I bought like 400 pairs, so I wear the same color every day. <laughs> same pair of pants every day, and <laughs> that's what it looks like. But they were pretty cheap. Uh, yeah, they must have um, an online outlet. Hey, guys, I need to go grab my, my charger. My laptop is dying. Oh, no so worries. I'm just going to like walk in the other room really quick. Okay. I'll have I'll bring you with me, but I just wanted to let you know because I'm like shuffling about. Mm. 
Take your time. Hurry up. <laughs> Take your time. Hurry up. <laughs> so, Stomp, what about um, <laughs> thoughts on budget versus high end? Like, is there anything that you would spend big dollars on for your winter gear? I think you got to go for the Gore-Tex. <laughs> and you're going to pay for the Gore-Tex, whether it be shells, uh, pants, tops, or bottoms. The boots is where I would probably say, you know, invest in some better um, better brands if you can, just because it is critical that your feet stay warm. And then a shell puffy jacket, like I, I, I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't hesitate to spend a little bit of extra on those two pieces of gear. But for the most part, like I said, like Columbia, Columbia, Eddie Bauer, you can go on backcountry, steep and cheap. Like you can get good deals. Even even um, Eastern Mountain Sports, a lot of times, like their branded uh, clothes are really good too. Um, a little heavier maybe sometimes, but like you can get some really good deals on, on gear. That's Eastern Mountain brand. Yeah, I, I think it's important to spend the extra money for the um, the tops. Let you want a shell with some really good ventilation and zipper options so you can get that heat out so you're not getting sweaty. I think first topic then is we are going to start with base layer. The base layer is basically what you're wearing, you know, that's touching your skin. Usually it'll be like long underwear and then uh, a long sleeve shirt, t-shirt, whatever you, uh, whatever you want. So Stomp, what are you typically wearing in the winter? I don't want to know about your underwear, but like everything else. <laughs> yeah, for me, it's it's temperature based. I mean, from the fifties down to say the twenties, I'm wearing uh, just basic pants, and yeah, I, I tend to run hot, so I I will avoid the long underwear until it gets probably into the twenties and the teens. And when it gets to that point, then I'll add the uh, the long underwear underneath. When it gets down to say zero, then I'm throwing on the snow pants. Uh, that's how I sort of work things, and that's. You know, I can I can overload my legs. I tend to enjoy being hotter for my legs, but up top, I would shift that a, a degree and be in a t-shirt, a wicking t-shirt, into the twenties. You know, and then add a layer of Michael Wool over that as it gets colder, or if I gain elevation. So I also run hot, but I always wear well. So basically, now that it's about November, I'm in pants. So I. I have a couple of things that I like. So I have, um, they're called fast and free Lululemon like leggings. And I have them in every length you can get them basically because they're like the most comfortable leggings and they're ridiculously overpriced, but they're like the only leggings I've found that don't chafe. And also they have little pockets on the side for you to keep your phone in them. And they um, are wicked good about drying. So like today I wore those hiking, but, um, I would say once it starts to get to be a little bit cooler, I will definitely switch over to smart wool. I love smart wool. I have smart wool leggings and I have smart wool tops and that's what I wear. I will hike in my sports bra in the winter sometimes because I'm run that hot. Like if it's in the twenties, but, um, I do that also because I don't want my base layer to get soaking wet with sweat. Like that's how bad I sweat. Who's your uh, Who's your go to? I mean, I, I go to minus thirty three for all my stuff now. I mean, I find their stuff to be amazing, from lightweight up until to medium to heavyweight. Um, merino wool is just amazing. It, it you could get soaked on the way up and then move around for a little while, and all of a sudden you feel like you're dry again. It's amazing stuff, and it's very light and very thin. 
share even. Yeah, so I use I think it's Smartwell brand. I didn't I didn't know there's Oh. I'm not a super gear junkie, so I don't really go out and like sh- look for different brands that make different products typically once I find one that I like. So mm. I it's a Smartwell brand shirt and pants. Okay. Um and I also wear their socks. The one that you just mentioned. Minus 33. I think are they I think they're based out of New Hampshire, right? Ashland, actually. So, yeah, they're local, and um, they actually supply the search and rescue teams with rescue packages of clothing for people that are hypothermic, and um, uh, that's what turned me on to their stuff, and boy, I I just love it. I might have to look into them then, because I like, yeah, I like local stuff, so I'll have to check them out. Yeah, for sure. You won't be disappointed. I'm blown away. It's like, you literally, you can be soaked and you get up there and it's just the, the way that wool works. It just wicks it away and, you know, you, it maintains your body heat. Uh, it's great. Great stuff. Yeah. And I typically will wear, um, for base layer, I have I have Nike, uh, Nike run tights that I'll wear. Like a lot of times I wear those like during my, my runs during the week and I'll, I'll wear those with like shorts over them. Um. And then for hiking, if it's not going to be too crazy cold, that's typically what I'll start with for my base layer on the bottom. And then on top, I will have a uh, wicking t-shirt and then I have a long sleeve REI base layer. It's just a wicking material. So um, if it's really cold out, I have REI um, long long underwear that's like uh, smart wool wool, uh, based and that's a little bit heavier. So that'll keep me warm on the bottom and then on top. If I need something a little heavier, I have like a heavier smart wool quarter zip that I'll have, and I always just wear a t-shirt under it. So pretty much good to go from there, which is good. But with a base layer, the biggest thing that you need is like it should be, it should cover you pretty well, and then expect to be in your base layer, especially the top part. You'll be in your base layer in most days if you're doing winter hiking and it's not too crazy, like as you're going uphill you'll be in either a t-shirt or your long sleeve base layer. So you want to make sure that it's super comfortable. Make sure the wrists aren't too tight. Like I've seen that a couple of times where the wrists were really tight on me and I had to like just either cut them or, or stretch them out. So just want to make sure they're super comfortable. And I think Rebecca's point about the smart wool, that's going to be the most comfortable that you're going to find. So, um, mm-hmm. but moving on to what we put over the base layer. So I want to talk about pants a little bit. So, I think from a pants perspective, what you're going to find in winter hiking is that there's typically like two approaches. So there's some crazy people that will just wear regular hiking pants, which are like three season hiking pants that are a thin layer. They'll put those over a base layer and then they're good to go. And I think you can probably get away with that up to a certain temperature. But I would say most people mm-hmm. will wear a soft shell pant, uh, pants that you can get. So what you want to look for for essential gear is a pair of soft shells and they're typically like a little thicker when you buy them brand new they're treated with like a uh, water resistant feature so that like if it gets wet like water will like um just sort of drip right off of it without seeping into the fabric as time goes on eventually like the uh, the, the, the soft shells will wet out eventually on you, but when you first get them, that's really nice. So they don't really wet out too badly. And then you'll also need a, um, hard shell pants just in case like it starts like getting wet or there's significant wind above tree line. So for me, what I use for my pants is I have, um, a brand called Marmont Scree pants, 
which are a heavy soft shell pant pants that um, are super comfortable. I almost wear those like every day in the winter when I'm working. They're like, I just wear them like around the house 24 seven. And then for a hard shell pants, I just use an REI two layer uh, rain pants. So they're not like Gore-Tex or anything like that. They're just um, typical raincoat nylon gear that, um, that I can put on. If it's windy, it just sort of blocks the wind a little bit. And uh, they don't really breathe that well, so I can't wear them for super long going uphill because I'll wet, I'll start sweating like crazy. But um, most of the time, you'll be in your base layer, and then on top of that, you'll have soft shell pants. So that's what I think the majority of the people that are hiking are wearing. And then if it's snowing out, even then, you can just sort of get away with just wearing the soft shell. But if it's like all of a sudden getting wet or if it's a little bit warmer or it starts raining or something like that, that's when you're going to be a little bit worried about having just the soft shell. That's where you want to put on like your, your hard shell rain pants. But I'd say 99% of the time, my, my hard shell rain pants are just sitting in the bottom of my pack, not, not doing much over the winter. I will always wear my smart wool like pants, um, like base layer. Um, but then I will layer these other ones on top. Let's see, EMS leggings. They're Equinox um, power stretch tights. So they're, they have like a thicker um, material to them. They're not as thin as a base, as my base layer. And I will wear those on top of my base layer and then I'll usually be okay. But I also wear, like I said, I have these, these mountaineering socks that I wear that are so warm and those go up to my knee almost. So with those and these other like thicker leggings on top of my smart wool leggings, and I will wear them if I'm cold, which is very rare because I, I run that hot, um, I have Arcteryx brand um, outer outer layer legging like pants, like what you were saying, soft shell pants. I very, very rarely will put those on because I'm literally like, I don't know. I'm like a furnace. I'm always hot. But yeah, I love Arcteryx. That's like my favorite brand. Cha-ching. Yeah, I think these pants were like $400, but I'm telling you, is it's worth it. <laughs> like they're so... I love their products. Yeah, they are. They're nice. It's nice. I sh- I look at them. I never bought. I've never bought Arcteryx because it's just like I can couldn't bite the bullet. <laughs> I know. Well, I was. I said to myself, like, I'm gonna do this because I will wear this jacket now until it falls off my body. Because <laughs> I will do that with clothes. I'll just wear them until they're literally falling apart. So to me, it was worth the purchase because. I'm not willing to skimp when it comes to my puffy. That was my big thing. I know you were saying that um, I think shoes is something you don't want to skimp on. But for me, that puffy jacket is like going to save my life. I don't know. I just I think of it as like this is a this is my insulating layer. I'm not skimping on this product. So I kind of bit the bullet on that. And then that turned into me biting the bullet on <laughs> the shell and the pants. Stomp, what are you, uh, what are you wearing for pants? I have a, I like, I, I have a feeling you don't even use soft shell. I think you like, you use a base layer and just regular pants all year round, right? I do. That's yeah, cool. that's it. Yeah. But, but we're, what I really focus on, I always have a pair of uh, snow pants in my pack. So I, I tend to go for like uh, a Burton snow pants for snowboarding. 
you know, they're, they're designed for that rugged wear and tear when you have to sit down on your butt or you're, you're on your knees or whatever. So it comes in handy for search and rescue too. Burton makes great stuff. Uh, but yeah, you're right. I just do, you know, the inner and just regular pair of polyester pants and gaiters. And uh, I'm always standing. I never sit and do anything like that. Um, it's worked out well for me over the years. Uh, and the pants, by the way, are the Eddie Bowers, which I find are really, really tough for just a standard pair of outer pants. I'd like to add one thing about the Gore-Tex, though, if I could. Cleaning Gore-Tex, there's, there's an art to it. I'm fairly new to the idea, but um, on my hike on Saturday in the rain, I was talking to Teal Goat and um, Cuddly McPuffy Pants, uh, yes, and they suggested the Nick Wax products. N-I-K-W-A-X. So that's everything from conditioning to waterproofing. Um, Take a look at it. I think we'll put it in the show notes. Great company for keeping your expensive Gore-Tex and waterproof materials uh, lasting as long as they can. Yeah, I have a um, Gore-Tex, actually not Gore-Tex, but it's Event. We'll talk about that in a moment. But I I use like the special soap to wash them and stuff, but I just find that eventually they just wet out. Eventually, Eventually, it's just like... The water just yeah. the only way to fix it is to get a new new jacket, but I'm sure. Yeah. All right. So moving on to socks here. So um this is not difficult, folks. I think for me, <laughs> you can either buy darn tough socks or you can buy smart wool brand. And um the the tricky part about socks is figuring out for you personally whether or not you need super thick socks or whether you want mid-weight socks or whether you want to do liner socks. So the way that I handle this is if it's, I look at the temperature outside and I'm going to assume 90% of you that are out there hiking for the winter will be using 400 Thinsulate boots, which is going to keep you pretty warm, even down to like 10 degrees in most cases, if you buy a decent pair of boots. In that case, for me, The biggest mistake I hear people that are inexperienced hiking in the winter that they make is that they'll put on these big thick socks and then they'll tighten up their boots and they want to make sure they're super tight and they, they, they cut off the circulation in their feet and they get cold and they don't understand what's going on. So for me, if it's like going to be 10 to 20 degrees out for the most part, like I might put a mid-weight sock on, uh, but you can even put like a liner sock and just bring a mid-weight pair of socks in your backpack and then switch out if you need to. Uh, but circulation is the key. Don't tie you, don't have your boots be too tight. Don't use socks that are too thick. Um, and don't overlayer your socks because it, it's at the end of the day, you've got to have that circulation flowing in order to stay warm. For me, 400 insulate boot with a, a liner sock, 90% of the time, 10 degrees or above, that's going to be fine. If you want to put a thicker sock on when it's going to get colder, I typically use like a mid-weight or a heavy um, darn darn tough brand sock. And then I have a few smart wool brands just because people buy me for Christmas and I use those and mix and match. But no, I totally agree with the uh, circulation. Um, you can get a, a sock that's too tight and that will not help you at all. I, I personally don't add an inner layer wicking sock with wool socks because they're generally pretty warm. Um, uh, but that's just me. I am an anomaly somewhat with these things. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, same, like you want to make sure your feet have circulation. I tried the liner socks, uh, for a little while and I felt like my feet were, they weren't able to like have that airflow. And I feel like my feet got wetter 
like they were sweating. So I stopped using the liner socks, um, gosh, over a year ago. And now I just wear these, these mountaineering, they're darn tough mountaineering socks. And I love them. They're like, they're, they're awesome. Like I can't say enough about them kind of. Um, so yeah, that's what I wear in the winter time and my feet stay warm. So I want to talk about darn tough for a minute here because there's something that I've always been, is I actually be curious what the listeners have to say here. So darn tough offers a lifetime guarantee. So you can wear your darn tough socks and you can like put holes in them and they're not perfect. Like they definitely will. Like I get running socks and they, they get holes in them, but darn tough. Basically they'll be like, you can return your socks at any time and then we'll replace them. You've got a lifetime guarantee. But like my position has always been if I buy darn tough socks and I get like a year's use out of them or a year and a half worth. And then all of a sudden there's a hole in them. Like I'm not returning them to get a new pair of socks for free. Like I'm just going to basically throw my socks away and like buy another pair of socks to support the company because they have a really good product. But like I've seen arguments where people are like, oh yeah, I return them and get them replaced for free every, every year or two. So where do you guys come down on this? Do you return them or do you just say like, it's a good product and I'll just support the company? I um, My typical socks that I wear all year, except for winter, are small, smart wool brand and they do not have that warranty. Okay. So I don't have this issue. My, <laughs> my darn tufts that I wear in wintertime are not... They're fine. Like they don't need to be replaced. So, Got it. Right. but if I was going to, I guess I would probably just throw them away. I just feel like that's a pain in the butt and I don't want to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. I, every once in a while, there's like an argument where people will be like, no, you shouldn't, you shouldn't um, throw them away. You should send them back. They want you to send them back. I'm like, they don't want you to send them back after you've worn them for a year and a half to give for your free socks. Like just buy new socks. So if listeners, if you're one of those people that returns them after two years, like message, message us, let us know. And we'll, uh, maybe you can change my mind, but. Um, but anyway, darn, darn tough. I, you know, buy a bunch of them. They're great. Smart wool is great too. Um, so moving on to the next product here is gators. So gators, basically what they do, if you're not familiar, is that they are a, um, protection to ensure that snow and water does not get in from the top of your boots. So they hook onto the front of your shoelaces at the very end of your shoelaces, they'll hook on. And then um, they will wrap around the top of your boots up to your right below your knees, and then they cinch so that not no water or snow or anything like that can get into them. So if it's like deep snow and you're you're breaking snow um, with snowshoes and things like that, it really protects you and keeps you warm. So there's two types of gaiters that I've seen. There's Gore-Tex, which is what I recommend people get, and then they do sell cheaper nylon. Um, the nylon mm-hmm. cheaper product is decent if you're just getting into winter hiking and you're on a budget. They do typically come with zippers, which is, can be a little bit sketchy in the winter time. Uh, but you know, if you if you are on a budget and you want to, you know, you're not sure winter hiking is for you, then I would buy gaiters that are just sort of the nylon gaiters with zippers for a season and, and check it out. But otherwise, um, Gore-Tex. Uh, gators are what most people will buy. I have outdoor research um, crocodile gators, I think they're called. So, and they they're Velcro. Gotcha. Yeah, they're good, and they're they're different heights. You you mentioned the one that go up to your your knees or just above your calf, but they're a mid length, they're ankle length. I mean, it depends on the depth of snow, I suppose. Um, if you're in deep powder, then the knee height would be 
the right call. What do you have, Stomp? I, I tried an OR, and I didn't really like them. I think I switched over to, I want to say they're Hill Sounds. As a matter of fact, they are Hill Sounds, and they were the cheapest ones I found, and I absolutely adore them. They've been fantastic. They've lasted for four or five seasons, and they were the cheapest on the rack, but hands down, they've been fantastic. Yeah, yeah. the ORs are good, and that's actually another thing to think about with your bass layer is that it the problem that you run into with these gators that are sort of heavy is that like if you've got a sock, then you've got your bass layer, then you've got your soft shell pants, now you're putting on Gore-Tex gators. Mm-hmm. And you know that's a lot of like that. It'd be, you're like a furnace down there, so it, it, <laughs> you can't start sweating out. But it, to me, like they're they are really good. I do I do use them, and I do end up kind of sweating on my on my legs a little bit too much, probably. But you know, I I like them. What do you got going on for Gators, Rebecca? I have outdoor research ones um, as well. They're women's Verglass Gators, I guess. I think that's the style. Um, they go right above my, like right below my my knee as well. So yeah, um, it's really frustrating. It's like they just won't. Sometimes they just won't stay, and then they look awkward. They don't look pretty like in the picture. They're all like bunched up. But I highly recommend gaiters, especially if you are a person like me who wears like either ankle length boots or trail runners, because it's going to keep the snow out of your shoes. So we should make. Um some slasher garters, garters for gators. <laughs> that could be a big seller. <laughs> right? That would solve the problem, Rebecca. Garters. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. I don't know. Do those go up on your thighs yeah, and then you yes. like hook the little clip or something? Okay, yeah. yeah. Stomp, you can try those out. Send pictures. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. So many people getting married up on the slopes. I mean, come on. Obviously, if they're getting married up on Artist Bluff, you're going to have some garters for your gators. Come on. I don't think <laughs> garters are popular anymore, actually. I think they stopped doing that in weddings. Really? Huh. Yeah, I feel like that stuff's not popular anymore. Um, what's the other thing that the guy does? Or the guy has something? I know the... The girl has the garter, but doesn't... Well, the guy has to put the garter up onto the thigh. That's I what thought he, he takes it off. He takes it off and throws it to the uh, best man. Oh, to the the uh, the single man. Oh, that's right. And, and then, then the girl <laughs> throws the bouquet. Yes. So. The bouquet. Yeah. Yes. So I don't know. It's I been a while. Yeah, I haven't been to a wedding in a while, so I don't know if they still do that. So. <laughs> oh, the three marriage veterans here have no clue. <laughs> yeah. No. Mm-hmm. All right, we've all been married too long, but our. Moving on to um, a midweight shirt. So I kind of already talked about this. Like I don't really wear, I have like my base layer t-shirt and then I've got a long sleeve shirt and that's it. Like I go right to my fleece or uh, my soft shell jacket, or my puff or or my, um, my shell. So I don't really have much to add here. Like I don't really wear a midweight shirt, but Rebecca or Stomp, do you guys put anything on top of your base layer there? Yes. I'm actually really annoyed about this. Actually, this is a hot topic for me right now. So I have a mid-layer that is my absolute favorite, I think probably favorite piece of clothing for hiking by EMS that they no longer make. And the one that I own, the zipper is now going on it. And I have yet to find one that's worthy of being its replacement. So I'm 
basically wearing it, even though the zipper is extremely finicky. Um, the thing I like about this jacket is it has these like sections of fabric. Um, you can put your fingers through like the little thumb thingy, but then there's like a big area right here of fabric where you can pull it over your hands. So it's like a little muff. Yeah, but it goes, but on top of your hands, like right here on the jacket, there's like extra fabric that you can pull over. It's like built in glove then basically. Yes. And it is so awesome. And it's also just like a really good jacket, like in terms of the weight of it. And it's like, I just love this jacket and they stopped making it. But for me, a mid layer is huge because I I have a terrible phobia of getting cold and dying out there. (laughs) So I really worry about getting cold. So I always want to make sure I have enough like layers, I guess. I'm a really big layer person. Um, so this mid-weight jacket is like kind of really important to me and I'm really upset about the situation I'm in right now. I personally use like a, um, like a pile fleece, just a regular pullover with a V-neck zip down to mid chest. That's usually enough for me. And I will definitely have a second, uh, micro wool layer, uh, inside the pack because generally I just want to be comfortable on the way down. So I'll have that just in case. Yeah. I, I was thinking more in the terms of like a midweight shirt, but if you're talking about like a sort of a light jacket, I will, I have two that I use. So I have an Eddie Bauer grid fleece. Which is just mm-hmm. it's a it's a quarter zip, so it's a pullover. So that's a kind it's kind of a pain in the ass because yeah, I don't like the pullover. I'm not even talking jackets, but yeah, but yeah. I I do have a um, a soft shell. So typically, what I'll wear to start my hike is I'll you know I'll have my soft shell pants, and then I have a soft shell jacket, which is an outdoor research Ferrossi jacket, which is super comfortable. Mm, it's a hood, and it's got the same sort of setup, Rebecca, that you were talking about with the thumb holes. But it doesn't it doesn't have the wraparound to, to give you a full glove. But I do typically a lot of times I'll pick one or the other. Like I'm either bringing the Eddie Bauer fleece or I'm going to bring the Ferrossi soft shell. Most of the time I'll bring the the Ferrossi soft shell. But um, yeah, that that's typically like the what I'll start off a hike with to stay warm. And then moving on here to hats. So Rebecca, you you basically hit on exactly what I have too. Was like I don't like. There's no brand. You just wear whatever hat you can get. Preferably, like I I used to go to like career fairs, and because I'm a recruiter, and I would go to all these college career fairs, and then I walk around all the tables, and I would I would just like get all the swag. We call it swag, and a lot of times people would have like winter hats and stuff like that. So I have a winter hat from some company. I have no idea what it is, but it's super comfortable, and I. I wear that pretty much all winter. Yeah, I have a cheap hat that I got in Boston at Faneuil Hall. And I like it because it's really warm and it's like, I don't know, it's like long, the material, so I can fold it over in the the front right here. I don't know, like it, it keeps my head really warm, so. Yeah, and I have, what I tell people about like hats in the winter is, in my opinion, I always have an extra hat just in case because you do sweat into them. But like my system is I have a headband that covers my ears, right? And that's typically mm-hmm. what I'll wear like 90% of the time. And then once you get above tree line or if it gets a little windy or if it's a colder day, I'll have the, the headband, again, just to cover my ears. And then um, I'll put the hat over it. So I've got two layers. And then typically I'm really warm with that. And then if I start getting too warm, I'll take the hat off again. And then I've just got the headband. And then 
if I'm below tree line, there's no wind and I'm really sweating, I might take them both off. Or sometimes like I'll take the, the headband and just put that around my neck for a little bit more warm, warmth and then I'll just put the hat on. So it's just either way, I just sort of mix and match with uh, with the headband and then the, the hat. Stomp, you you always wear your you wear your chim chimini chim hat. <laughs> which one is that? I can't remember. I feel like you're is. always wearing like a, a like a, a chimney sweep hat. I call them. <laughs> could be, could be. Yeah. I mix it up with the hats. I mean, I, I I run hot, so I tend to actually almost prefer like a, a bandana until I soak it, and then I put on a, a thin wool beanie. And I uh, usually just ride with that for the rest of the day. Um, and I'll have two in my pack because once they're wet, then it's best to just swap them out. Oh, my God. If anybody ever gets a hike with Stomp, like in the winter, he is just like a sweaty, <laughs> sweaty mess down to his T-shirt within like five <laughs> minutes of going uphill. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I always break the cardinal rule, too. I'm up on the summit, like, stripping down, like, shirtless, just changing. (laughs) I don't wear a hat unless I'm really cold. Same with me, Stomp. Like, I run really, really hot. So annoying. I take a buff. Yeah, it is really, honestly. Um, I take a buff bandana. Well, I did when I didn't have any hair. I would wear it, like, you know, right here around my head, uh, you know, like a headband on my, cause my ears would get cold. And then I just put a baseball hat on top of it. And now I'm so used to doing that. I just will do that now. Um, I don't, I will wear a hat if it's like really cold, like I'll pull out my hat and put it on, but it's probably one of the last pieces of gear so, that I'm going to actually break out of my pack. Cause I, my head is always so hot. I cannot have cold ears. I just cannot. That's why I use the headband. Like that's the one thing I can't deal with. And the second I take like that headband off, my ears start getting cold again and I um I just can't deal with it. So you guys are tougher than I am. Are we talking about balaclavas in this section? Uh yeah, we can do that. I had that in a second a separate session, but they're tied together, so yeah. I mean, what what do you do for a balaclava? I have been doing the um, the half that basically covers your nose and drops down into your neck and straps down behind your uh, your ears on your neck. Uh, those full ones are just just too much, especially with um, goggles and this and that. So I just go for the half. It's very comfortable. So I have the one that goes over your whole head like this and then over your face like that. Yeah. Um, but I only wear that. That's actually that's probably actually the very last piece of gear that's coming out of my pack to be put on because I typically don't wear it. Um, I take my buff if I'm not wearing it on my head and I put it on my face right here. Yeah, that works great too. Yeah, same with me. I don't really, I mean, I usually, I have two that I use, but I don't use them that frequently. A lot of times, like if, if my neck is cold, like I will put that headband that I wear around my neck and just put my hat on. But I have a, I have one that is sort of like a, um, I use it when I'm, when I'm skiing. It's basically like there's no, there's no nose and mouth coverage. It just sort of like wraps around your, um, your face. It's kind of like an Oompa Loompa type setup. And then I'll use that so that it's just sort of, you know, I'll put goggles on or something. But uh, the other one, I have the, the sort of the full face one when I'm above tree line. And it's got a, um, like a neoprene sort of 
material around the nose and the mouth, which I do like. It's thick and it's heavy. But like if you're in like zero degree weather with significant wind above tree line on the presidentials, like that's that's what I use is um is the heavy balaclava. But most of the time that just rides in the bottom of my pack. How many goggles are you guys carrying? I'm carrying two. Thick ventilation too. Yeah. I got two two goggles and um the biggest thing that people need to be aware of with goggles is the rookie mistake and I did I used to do this like um, do not put your goggles on. So keep your goggles cold. Keep them in your pack until you're ready to put them on. And if you're going to take them off and you don't need them, put them back in your pack. Do not ever put your goggles on your forehead like you would. You know, you'll see people doing that on the like ski helmets and things like that. But if you put your goggles on your forehead, the heat's going to basically project onto the, the goggles and they're going to fog up and then they're going to be useless. And that's another reason why mm-hmm. you want to bring two sets of goggles is because they do um, fog up eventually. And if you're above tree line or if you're in a situation where you're in crazy weather, having a backup pair in case yours or somebody else you're with, their goggles feels, feels or fogs up is critical. And you can get different um, depths of ventilation. Uh, you know, one, one year I had such a problem with my goggles fogging up, and then I went to a smith that had a vent um, distance between my, my skin and the glass or the, the plastic of like an inch. And it's fantastic. Tons of ventilation. So that can be a big lifesaver if you're a hot hiker. Uh, all right. So next here is glove system. So Rebecca, what is your strategy when it comes to gloves? Just regular thin gloves. I don't know if I'd call them thin. Well, they're thin. Like you, They're just regular gloves. They're a North Face brand um, that I will wear most of the hike once I get to the point where I need gloves because I wait until my hands are actually getting colder because I, like, I run so warm. Um, and then I have the these wicked awesome mittens that I purchased that are like hardcore and I, I love them. And I think they were Black Diamond mittens. They're actually men's. They're Mercury mittens by Black Diamond. And the outside of them is it's kind of like a leathery material and they go to go to about here you know a little bit past your wrist and then the inside you can actually unvelcro this inside mitten thing and it's like wicked thick wool these things keep your hands so warm like you won't even know what to do with yourself nice yeah so for the the gloves that i use and Typically, so Rebecca, it's pretty much your, you know, the, the typical system. But like, I suggest liner gloves, and then I have like a like a middle, so thin thin liner gloves. I'll usually keep like two pairs, an extra pair as a backup. But then um, I'll have like wool mittens. You can get them anywhere. Like you don't have to buy anything too crazy. But I prefer like the mittens that like will uh, flip around so that you can have access to the liner gloves, and then just you know, flip the, the mitten back on if you need it. And then my last layer is outdoor research. I use um, Gore-Tex shell outdoor research and they're like way bigger than I need, but it's, it's convenient because it, worst case scenario, when you, your hands get really cold, you have your liner gloves and you have your wool gloves and then you've got your shells and you, you need to have plenty of room because again, it's the same theory when it comes to boots is that circulation is critical. So if your gloves are too tight, you're going to cut off the circulation. And even though you should be warm because you're moving and generating heat, 
you won't warm your hands up because you're cutting off your circulation. So you need to make sure that nothing is too tight. Um, and typically, like if your hands are getting cold, don't panic. The thing that is going to warm them up most quickly is getting all your layers on and then start moving, especially if you're going uphill. Your hands will warm up within about a half a mile. If they don't warm up within that period, that's when you have to be a little bit concerned. I always tell people, bring hand warmers with you. And always, whenever I get out of the car, the first thing I do is I undo the hand warmer. And I I usually have two or three of them. And I just put them in my front pocket where I'm going to put my phone. And I've got a hand warmer or two there to, to help me out. And if my hands start getting cold, I just slip them inside the mittens and then warm it up. But I think 90% of the people that are hiking out there will use a similar system to what Rebecca and I just talked about is liner gloves, a mid-layer wool wool, wool glove, and then the heavy-duty Gore-Tex shells if you need them. Yeah, pretty much. That's more or less what I do. Um, I start with the liners. I have several pair of each, um, especially when I'm bushwhacking. Uh, You just get soaked because you're grabbing trees and pulling yourself up and this and that. So you know, at least three pair of liners, and then I go with the uh, Dakin, D-A-K-I-N-E, mittens. I never really do gloves. Gloves, the only time I do gloves are my go-to, which this will be uh, funny for you guys, but I, I just buy cheap $10 uh, winter dipped work gloves from the hardware store, and they're baggy, mm-hmm. they're super waterproof, and they're they're full of fleece. They're the they, they're like the best things I've found. They're like 10 bucks a pop and two or three pair of those and boom, you're good to go. And I bust out the um, the mittens if I'm really like standing around waiting or I'm getting cold, you know, that type of thing. But sometimes the cheaper, the better. Yeah, exactly. And that's true. Like I, you can't, those liner gloves don't weigh anything. So it's worth, because that's the thing is you will sweat yeah. into those. And if you're doing a long hike, like right. it's not going to hurt you to bring three pairs of liner gloves. So you wear one have a backup in your pocket and then one in your um, one in your backpack because that's the other thing is I'm always thinking in terms Absolutely. of like if somebody gets in trouble and they don't have the right gear like uh, am I carrying enough extra stuff where I can help either someone I'm hiking with or someone I run into on the trails so again that goes back to what we talked sure. about last episode like the ultra light stuff is great but in winter hiking I don't worry about it like I just Rebecca you talked about it earlier like you're not going as long as you would in the summertime so carry a little bit extra weight is not a big deal. Mm-hmm. All right. So the, the next topic here is jackets. So this is a big one here. So there's like two types of jackets that you're going to have to worry about. So we talked about like your base layer. We talked about like a midweight like shirt or fleece that you're going to wear. And most of the time, the midweight piece of it's going to be like a, sh- a fleece or a soft shell jacket but then the two critical pieces of gear that you want to have are a puffy jacket and then a hard shell. So for me, I have like a mix and match. So I have a, for my puffy, I have a Patagonia Nano Puff, which has no hood. 90% of the time, I would say that you want to have a puff with a with a hood. Early season, sometimes you can get away with it, but typically you do want to have a hood in your puffy and then um, you'll have a shell. So for me, I have, um, like I said, a Patagonia Nano Puff that has no hood. And then I have a um, Eddie Bauer Evertherm, which is like a new piece, is a new sort of um, down jacket that like it's down sheets. And it's worked for me. It's it's a little bit less expensive and, and I do like it. Um, and then I have an Eddie Bauer Event 
shell, which is my hard shell. And basically the way that you're going to use these is that like 90% of the time, these things are going to be sitting in your backpack. It's when you get above tree line or you're going to stop. That's where you immediately want to put on your puffy jacket and your sh- and most of the time I won't put the shell on. But when I will put the shell on is if I'm above tree line and it gets windy, I'll put that over pretty much everything and then I'm pretty much bulletproof from there. But for me, again, it's the Patagonia Nano Puff, Eddie Bauer Evertherm um, jacket, and then I've got an Eddie Bauer backcountry shell, which is an event fabric, which is basically a competitor to Gore-Tex. So typically for shells, you're going to have Gore-Tex products or you're going to have event. And then I think there's like one other brand. I don't really know what it is, but... um, you definitely need to have both of those and that's what's going to really when you when you get in cold weather or you're stopping you want to put both of those on to really keep yourself warm and retain that heat yeah i have um like i mentioned earlier so it's the arcteryx cerium lt down hoodie and it's um it has a hood and I actually did a pretty decent amount of research on on what to get in terms of my puffy because I was worried that I'd get something that wouldn't be warm enough. Um, So I actually spent a pretty decent amount of time doing research on weight because I am kind of a little bit of a a weight kind of, I don't know, I count my my ounces (laughs) Um, (laughs) for my gear usually. And so because I, I use this gear all year. So like, this is something I would even bring if I was going on a backpacking trip. So I wanted it to be lightweight and it weighs 9.8 ounces, which is really light, but it's also extremely warm. Um, this jacket is, I love it. I highly recommend it. It's, um, I think so right, right now at REI, it's $302 to $379. So it's not super cheap, but it's, to me, it's worth it. Um, so that's my puffy. And then my windbreaking layer is Arcteryx as well. It's a Zeta. And I um, I like this jacket a lot. It keeps me warm. It keeps the wind um, off of me. I, I use it in the summertime too for um, going on hikes when it's going to be raining. It's 9.5 ounces. So it's also pretty lightweight. I do need to redo the waterproofing on it again, but other than I've had it for a few years, but other than that, I love both these jackets. Awesome. Stomp. Yeah. I, I, I use the, uh, the nano like you do, but I rarely use it if I have my, um, my fleece mid layer and I'll just put, uh, my outer Patagonia shell over that. And that's Gore-Tex as well. Uh, it's an older shell, but it's still resistant to the water. So I'm uh, pretty happy with that. Pretty simple, straightforward. Cool. And then the the big thing is if you're going to go out and buy a puffy jacket, the basics that you need to know about is um, typically I, I advise people to buy a down jacket. Like I don't know a lot about synthetic, to be honest with you. There's some synthetic jackets that I think are really good as well, but I just don't know enough about them to, to really talk with any level of knowledge, but what I will tell you is that if you are si- if you're if you're trying to figure out a down jacket, the the things you want to look out for is you want to see what the fill power is. So typically, 
you know, a higher end jacket is going to be 800 fill power or above. It goes up to, I think, a thousand, which is basically like the density of the, um, the goose down, which is like their feathers. And then in addition to that, you also want to know the fill weight. So you can have like a 650, like REI has actually a really good jacket that's 650 down fill power, but they add more 650 down to the jacket than another jacket that might have like 850. So sometimes you can have a 650 jacket that's better than an 850 jacket just because it has more down in it. Uh, but the best place, so there's this guy on, um, and again, I didn't, I tell you not to worry about ultralight, but there's a guy on the ultralight subreddit forum that has this like awesome spreadsheet that basically breaks down every goose or, um, or down jacket by fill weight and fill power and then price. And then he like ranks them, um, when it comes to like a warmth for dollar amount, um, ranking and I'll include that in the show notes. So he has like this, it's a goose fleet gearbox jacket is like the, the highest ranked jacket that you can get. But like some of the, some of the better well-known jackets is like the REI co-op 650 down jacket. Um, there is a mountain hardware ghost whisperer that most people, there's a ton of people that will have that over the winter. And then um, Arcteric has some really good ones. Eddie Bauer's got a Microtherm 1000, which is a pretty good jacket. Um, yeah, so th there's a bunch of them here that I will include, but uh, I'll include this link here. But you can get really geeked out on this stuff if you want. I wonder who comes up with these names. <clears throat> It'd be fun if we like had uh, the guys over at Reckless come up with some names for some of these products. <laughs> I know, I know. So on the high, on the, on the, t on the top end of these products is like Goose Feet and then Timmermaid are the two that are like ranked <laughs> as the highest and they're like 950 down and then the fill power is, is or the weight that they're including oh, in the fill is pretty big. So I'll have to check them out. So we're all geared up. I think that's pretty much everything. So we talked about traction. We talked about, um, boots, we talked about hats, gloves, jackets, base layer, gaiters, socks, pants. Um, we got, there's got to be something we missed. Is there anything, Rebecca, that you can think of that we missed here? I can't think of anything. So when are we going for a hike? Yeah, we got to go for a hike. So what I would tell the audience is that, like, you know, go through your gear list. I think that most of the things that we covered in these topics here, like, you have to have – you know, you can, you can sacrifice a little bit, especially if you're going in like a flat hike or you're going to go, you know, just go to Lincoln Woods and don't go, go crazy to test out your gear. You can, anything with a, with a sort of a flat um, approach would be good to sort of test out. But the biggest thing you want to worry about is when you start off, um, just expect that you're going to have to take some layers off within like the first half mile or a mile, you'll start getting warm. Don't let yourself get too sweaty. Once you feel yourself starting to sweat, take that, take those layers off. Uh, but you need to figure out your own system. Like you need to be able to quickly get access to your gear. So you got to figure out like where are you going to keep your gloves? Where are you going to keep your hat? Um, you know, how are you going to uh, logistically keep gear in your backpack so that you have the stuff that you need on top? Um, and really, the the only way that you can figure that stuff out is to get out there and hike. Like 
everybody's system is different. Like I don't even think twice about it now. I just know where things go and I can just grab it and I've got a good system for everything. But it took me like three, four years to get there. So uh, Rebecca, I don't know how long it took you, how long to take you to get like totally dialed in on not even thinking about this stuff at this point. I'd say three years because yeah, like the first winter I didn't, I just had what I had for gear that I already had, you know, just around the house or whatever. Um, and then the second year and the third year, I think I, I was just kind of trying to get a feel for what I needed in terms of my how I run. So am I hot? Am I cold? What works for my feet? What doesn't? Um, and I also swapped to a different backpack. So swapping over to the pack I have now made a difference in what I um how my gear is in my pack. So I know exactly where things are now. I know where I want things to be because of accessibility reasons and stuff. So yeah, I definitely would say probably three years is a decent amount of time because that gives you a year to kind of play with things. And then by the third year, usually you're really getting a good system down. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say that's fear. Matter of fact, I'm excited. Like I'm actually like after this, after we do the show, I'm going to run over and check out my Hyperlite and like look at it with my snowshoes and, and see how I'm going to mount them. Because I have a, a Duder backpack that I've been using for winter for years and I'm pretty comfortable with that. But I got the Hyperlite this summer. So now I'm thinking like I might try it in a couple of winter hikes, but I'm nervous about the snowshoe piece of it. So I'll test that out. So Stomp, what are your pearls of wisdom? You got to get out there and experiment. <clears throat> you know, we can tell you what you should try to bring and and the different variations but you really get to get out there and see how your body responds and make adjustments i mean these are just basic ideas but it's all very fluid depending on your body and the temperature and everything else yeah agreed and i think i'm going to um rebecca i know you're you're still the lone wolf but maybe we can get you to come with us but i am going to post up a uh hike on the hiking buddies group i think like a slasher group hike maybe we'll do something like pierce or or something like uh, Webster or Jackson or something like that to get people going and maybe invite some people that are first-time winter hikers, see what we can get going. Yeah, I'll definitely go. Sounds awesome. Awesome. So, Rebecca, anything else, anything you want to plug before we wrap up? Mm, No, I think I'm pretty good. (laughs) You don't care about your social media anymore? I feel like you're, like, um, backing (laughs) away from social media. No, well, so I go through phases where I get annoyed and I'm like, I need a break. I totally got that vibe um, from you too. I see, I, I see you posting. You're like, I don't care about my, about my social media. But my social media is is Sockton Hikes and it's Instagram. That's basically, I would say, my biggest thing that I use. Well, this was a pleasure as usual. Uh, Rebecca, thank you. Everything will be on the show notes and... We will see you hopefully for a group hike with the hiking buddies. And until next week, adios. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to learn more about the topics covered on today's show, please check out the show notes and safety information on slasserpodcast.com. That's S-L-A-S-R podcast.com you can also follow the show on facebook and instagram we hope you'll join us next week for another great show until next time on behalf of mike and stomp get out there and crush some peaks now covered in scratches blisters and bug bites chris staff wanted to complete his most challenging day hike ever 
fishing game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled up to three feet in some spots and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And there's three words to describe this race. Do we all know what they are? Lieutenant James Nealon, New Hampshire Fish and Game. Lieutenant, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? It seems to me the most common is being unprepared. And I think if they just simply visited uh, hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us at all.